Welcome to the Nonprofit Growth Show, presented by Nonprofit Megaphone, the podcast where we highlight nonprofit leaders in the trenches who share the strategies and tactics they use to grow their organizations and make a difference each day. As we like to say, if you want to be discouraged by a general sense of decay, read the news. But if you want to be inspired by concrete stories of growth, talk to a nonprofit. Here's to the modern day superheroes, the nonprofit leaders. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, we're here with Debbie Alexander. She's the Director of Development and Communications at Phillips Programs for Children and Families. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Certainly. And we are looking forward to diving right in. I was wondering if you could tell us a story of a climactic or dramatic or exciting or nerve wracking moment that you've experienced in your work as a development professional. I have so many of those stories. <laughs> it was hard to pick one, but I think the most challenging happened when I was um, the executive director of a therapeutic writing center. We really wanted to serve wounded warriors who were recuperating at Walter Reed, and we wanted to provide our services for free. Well, giving something free to an entity like the military is really tough to do. So I spent years, literally years, going to different meetings, talking to different people, um, trying to set up a relationship so that we could provide these services. Also, because we wanted to provide it for free, I needed to get funding. But in order to get funding, the program had to be operating in order to be operating, I needed to get funding. So that was kind oh, no. of a tough nut to crack. Well, I was approached by this wonderful um, organization. Uh, it was a group of women who were planning this event called Bags Galore. And it was every kind of bag you could imagine. And they expected to raise about 24000 which was exactly what I needed to launch this program. So their board chair came to me and she said, you know, technically the program has to be running for us to do a fundraiser for you, but I have faith in you. I believe you can make this happen. So we're going down these two parallel paths. They're promoting the event. I'm trying to serve somebody. <laughs> and literally about two weeks before the event, we had our first client come out. It was an amazing experience, and I was able to share a fabulous story with these wonderful women who raised the money so we could provide these services completely free of charge. Absolutely incredible. That has got to be one of the balancing acts of the century of trying to get everything to happen all at the same time on this perfect timeline. That's incredible. That is so cool that you guys were able to pull it off. Um, and then if we rewind a little bit to get a sense of your background. I'd love to hear the story of how you got to where you are today. What does that journey look like? So I started out in public relations and marketing. Um, and every time I did a PR event, it would end up raising money. Um, and really fundraising and communications go hand in hand. Um, I started out uh, working with Fairfax County government in the Office of Public-Private Partnerships. And then after I'd been there for several years, I was recruited by a woman who had sold her company for $300 million and wanted to launch a private foundation 
I did that for six years. Um, and then I was rec recruited by the board to um, build a therapeutic writing center. That took, that was a seven year um, experience. They had, it was a really cool story. They were given 50 acres as a license through a license agreement with Prince William County. Um, and we built a beautiful center, grew the program. It was an amazing experience. And then I found out about Phillips programs and our CEO, her father founded this organization and Phillips programs has been an, the most incredible, innovative um, and dynamic nonprofit for 52 years. We serve youth with behavioral health needs and we started serving youth before the federal law mandated that everyone should be afforded a free and appropriate education. We've always been groundbreakers. And uh, under the guidance of Piper Phillips Caswell, our CEO, we're launching in a, into a new employment um, program for young adults when they age out of the system. That's a true paradigm shift in workforce um, development. It's very exciting. So that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. That's incredible. Is there a story that you could tell us about maybe an individual um, who's been impacted by Phillips programs that would sort of make it all really tangible for those that maybe aren't familiar with the organization yet? Absolutely. Um, we have so many amazing stories. So one of the th Phillips programs does multiple things. We have four special education day schools. We do home and community-based counseling. And then we have an incredible career and technical education program. Our kids are building houses. They're doing indoor hydroponic vertical farming, culinary arts, and additive manufacturing. And the story I'm going to share with you is about a young man named Mark. Now, I want you to think about what it was like for Mark. By the time he was 17, all he had experienced was failure in school. Now, Mark was doing the best that he could with what he had available to him, but he was diagnosed with overall developmental delays in preschool, and he was never referred out of traditional public school settings. Now, this young man was gifted with a lot of creativity, an inherent talent for mechanical things, and he has the best sense of humor. But he struggled with writing and attention, starting you know, from preschool through elementary school. Then when he got into middle school, he started having increased difficulties. And then he got caught up in kind of the self-perpetuating cycle of defeat. Because for some, failure in school triggers a stress response, which results in behaviors in the classroom. And that is what happened to Mark. He started responding to his frustration with hyperactivity, impulsiveness, defiance, and then ultimately some aggression. Then he got to high school. And his reactions became more and more challenging. He got suspended. And, you know, once you're suspended... You're suspended again and again. And then what, what happens? You fall further and further behind. By the time he was 16, he had failed ninth grade twice. He was in trouble. He was breaking rules. He was lying. He was stealing. And he resorted to destruction of property. 
I mean, it was just a really tough story. But finally, he was referred to Phillips. And that's when things really changed. Because at Phillips, we provide learning environments that focus on success. We minimize the risk of failure because we have small classes, truly individualized attention. We help our students build relationships. And we provide the time and space they need to reinforce their learning. Mark was put in our Building Futures program, and that's that's the program where kids are building houses. And he immediately showed us that he had a great proclivity for carpentry, and he's shown. And as he started experiencing incredible success constructing a home, those good feelings translated into the classroom, and suddenly he wasn't failing every class. That first year, he made C's and D's. Then he he came to summer school in our extended learning program. His progress continued. And then last year, he was on honor roll, and he maintained honor roll every semester. Just imagine the look on his face and his parents' faces. They were beaming with pride. And now Mark is on track to graduate with a high school diploma, and we are really looking forward to seeing the bright future that Mark has before him. That is absolutely incredible. That is such a cool story. And um, how, you know, a seemingly small thing of having now an area that he can excel, having a a ripple effect into all the other areas. That's remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing that. If we jump into some of the fundraising side of things, I would love to hear if there's a strategy or a tip or an approach that you found to be particularly helpful in your fundraising work that you think others might benefit from testing out as well. Absolutely. I mean, in my experience, it all comes down to storytelling. You know, when you know the impact of an organization when you when you can feel it and hear it and see it by hearing a personal story um, that resonates with people because you know I've always worked in the space where we're serving children with different kinds of needs. We've all loved a child at some point in our life, whether it's our own children you know, a relative, a cousin, a sister, or a brother, we can all understand what we want and what we hope for for every child that we know. And hopefully that desire to see a child thrive and do well, you know, translates into the stories of children who are struggling. Um, You know, helping children is just something that I think we all are passionate about and can understand. And, and, and uh, it's through the stories, like the story I shared with you about Mark, um, that people understand that there's a need and they want to do what they can to help. Brilliant. That's such a good point. And that's why it's so funny. That's why we asked people to share these stories, because even for me, it's just it's the quickest way to get to the heart of what an organization is doing and the mission and the impact that's happening there. So I appreciate you calling that out. We can now jump into one of the most fun aspects of the show, which is where we'll 
uh, play the pro-con game and debate a development-oriented topic. So the topic that we've selected today is very fun. It's should you have a Bitcoin fundraising strategy? And so one of us will take the side that yes, you should. One of us will take the side that no, you shouldn't. And we'll have a friendly little mock sparring session. Usually I lose these, so we'll see if <laughs> we'll see if my luck holds there. Debbie, which side of the debate would you like to take? I would like to be pro Bitcoin <laughs> or cryptocurrency. Perfect. Okay. That sounds great. Why don't you make an opening statement about the many benefits of accepting cryptocurrency donations or having a crypto fundraising strategy? And then I'll see what I can do to play devil's advocate. Awesome. Well, a few weeks ago, I actually went to a chamber event where Alex Wilson, who founded um, the Giving Block, was speaking. And my eyes were just opened because I honestly didn't know that much about cryptocurrency. And he gave an amazing presentation. Um, I encourage anyone who's listening to check out Giving Block. And uh, in the United States of America, the IRS indicates that there are 12 million people today who have cryptocurrency. And when they want to donate, uh, there are only about, the number may have changed since. Um, in the last few weeks, but at the time that I heard the statistic, only about 100 nonprofits were accepting um, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. So absent, you know, information that I'm not aware of, why would anyone, any nonprofit not accept Bitcoin? That's a huge segment that um, has money to donate and uh, doesn't have a lot of um, nonprofits who are accepting it yet. That's a great point. And I, yeah, I love the logic there. Do you, don't you think that um, opportunities like this are dramatically more beneficial for large organizations that, you know, have the name recognition and, and whatever. And if there's only a hundred or so nonprofits that accept it, if you're the hundred and first and you're a small sort of local organization, is that really going to be impactful to you? Or do you think it's just for the really big players at this point? Oh, no, I think it's even more impactful for the smaller players. I mean, every time someone donates to you, um, that's, you know, you hope that's going to translate into return donors. And say for Phillips, we're innovators. So I think anyone who's innovative enough to um, have cryptocurrency um, as part of their wealth strategy, they're going to be excited about our brand and they'll want to partner with an organization like Philips um, that's always on the leading edge of um, change. Got it. No, that's very fair. I think that's a good argument. And it's interesting. I've also randomly, I've also talked to Alex at the Giving Block as well. This was a couple months ago. and. Um, I'll say that I was so impressed with their sort of approach and the opportunity there. And it does seem like this is probably, I mean, depending on when people listen to this, if you listen to this episode in a couple of years, that window of opportunity may have passed. But where we are right now, it does seem like it's a beautiful window of lots of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are out there. 
and not that many nonprofits accept it. And so if someone wants to make a gift, you're sort of automatically in their top 100 or 200 exactly. just by accepting it at all, which is incredible. Like that's, that is a rare opportunity. So Right. And the thing I, uh, that's so cool about giving block, and I think there's um, also something called Coinbase, I, I, I am researching it, um, is the biggest concern I've heard about any kind of cryptocurrency is it's volatility but um the way they're structured someone donates and it's immediately converted into um regular currency so you don't have have to worry about you know holding on to it right right you're not dealing with any of the volatility which is great yeah Uh, anyway fascinating well thanks so much for bringing that our question i i learned a lot certainly just by chatting about it with you um, we can jump into some rapid fire questions. If you could describe yourself in one word, what would you say and why? People always tell me that I'm genuine um, and uh, I really and truly care about our clients. And I think when I share the stories about how we've benefited um, our clients, it comes across. Um, people understand that I <clears throat> I truly care about them. Is there an exciting shift that you're seeing taking place in the nonprofit world today that you think is actually really encouraging? I do. I'm really excited about kind of the concept around social entrepreneurship and um, the triple bottom line. Um, Our role as fundraisers is to increase social capital to promote civic engagement. We need to nurture relationships and encourage giving and also help people, help our donors um, support the greater good. And with the emphasis on the um, triple bottom line, nonprofits can be both build that trust in their brand, but also show true impact um, looking at both you know, so how, how we help people, how we help the planet, and how we help profits. I think that's um, really exciting. Absolutely. Is there something that you understand now or that you appreciate now that you didn't fully appreciate five or 10 years ago? Well, 10 years ago, I didn't fully appreciate, and I talk about this all the time with um, new nonprofits, the importance of board governance. And if someone is creating a new nonprofit, I always tell them, don't recruit just your neighbors and your friends to serve on your board. Um, that's the easy path. You want to take the time and recruit a board that, um, that has the skill set that you really need um, and treat your nonprofit just like a for-profit corporation. Brilliant. That is such a good point and such an easy, an easy way to go right at the beginning, but that probably doesn't set you up for as much success over the long term. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And don't be afraid to have a, give a minimum giving and get policy. That's, that's the other piece. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. This, the ship doesn't, 
run itself. No. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, Debbie. This has been so fun. And I really appreciate you taking the time to spend it here with us. Where can people find you online if they want to learn about uh, more about you and if they want to learn more about Philip's programs? Absolutely. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn. Um, personally, that's a great place to find me. And then Philip's programs also has a LinkedIn we have two Instagram accounts. Um, Growing Futures is our Instagram account for our vertical farm, which is really, really cool. And we're also on Facebook. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Debbie. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. It was great chatting with you. I hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Growth Show presented by Nonprofit Megaphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast network. We appreciate your support. Until next time.